0: Welcome to episode 206 of the Reformed Brotherhood. I'm Jesse.
1: And I'm Tony. And we are proud members of the Society of Reformed Podcasters. For you. In this world I do. Hey, brother.
0: Hey, brother. I'm excited to talk to you today. Have we got a topic to unfold?
1: I know, it's going to get a little salty, a little spicy in here. We're turn
0: I feel like we up. don't often use the word salty to describe us, but maybe that's an accurate depiction.
1: I feel like uh, we're going to put a little extra mustard on the
0: show today. <laughs> so you're, you're all in on the spice metaphors today. Oh, it's not a
1: metaphor. <laughs> I don't know what it is, but it's not a metaphor.
0: Well, before we get salty, spicy, and whatever else we're about to do, as if we tease this enough, let's do... Well, I think we both decided inadvertently and then formally before we started recording that basically our denials today are in support of one another, they're totally united, and that's going to be the content, the bulk of the episode. Actually, maybe it's, it's fair to say that we decided earlier in the week that... The denial really should be a whole episode so that's we're gonna go with this so before we get all to that stuff let's do a little affirmations at least keep part of this positive yes so what are you affirming with this week
1: so i am affirming a new podcast that is called him talk twin talk him talk twin talk
0: and so that sounds incredible. Th-
1: there's a little bit of a backstory to this. So when, okay. uh, when Ashley, Ashley and I met in seminary, she was doing a master's of arts or a master's of arts in uh, Christian education. And, um, I was doing two masters. So her program finished in two years and mine finished in three years. So that third year where she was finished with her program and I was still in school, she took a job as, um, a youth director at a local congregation and there was this woman there who was just the most like effervescent, bubbly personality. And she was the, the worship director. So she okay. coordinated all the music and, um, she had a twin sister who was the organist or the accompanist. And so they, um, they started this podcast that th- there's these identical twins. They're just the funniest, goofiest, uh, awesome people. Um, and so they started this podcast And, you know, it's funny because I remember one of the things, you know, when we were visiting the church trying to figure out if this was a a congregation that we could see ourselves fitting into, um, there was this beautiful trajectory in the service. So, So everything was driving towards a theme or an end. And there was movement. There was a there was a, a progression throughout the service, which I, I thought was just really appealing. And a lot of churches don't have anything like that. It's just kind of like thrown together. And And sometimes the worship music matches the sermon and sometimes it doesn't. But in this case, it was really, right. really well put together. And it, it kind of like drives you into worship and prepares you for the sermon. And then after the sermon, it drives you out of worship into the rest of the world to apply the sermon. And so I got to talking to her about it. And she was actually in a doctoral program for worship arts. So she's since finished her doctoral program and she's applying her academic um, expertise to the church now. I think she's still at the same church, I believe. Uh, But this this uh, podcast is just the two of them basically researching different hymns, uh, the history, the, the music behind it, all the worship elements. Um, and then talking about it. So it's, it's a great show. I, I don't know that I would endorse everything that they say, because I, I don't know everything they're going to say. Um, they're, they're definitely kind of in the reformedish ish camp. Um, I don't know that I would say they're kind of capital R reformed, but um, they definitely hold kind of um, sort of like five point tulip, uh, you know, presuppositions in some areas, um, but they love the scriptures. They love worship. They love the Lord. So check it out. It's called him talk twin talk. Um, It's a brand new podcast. They just started. I think they just released their second episode. It's excellent. It's very good.
0: It's very well produced,
1: too. It's funny because I I saw the trailer, and maybe this is my own issue and my own pride, but... I kind of expected it to be sort of this like hokey, like hokey, poorly put together podcast. And maybe I'm just projecting yeah. how hokey and poorly put together our podcast was. <laughs> but it's like ex- it's excellently produced. Like it's really, really? well produced. They've got music clips. Um, this is one you're going to want to listen to at normal speed because they're they're both excellent singers and they sing sometimes and there's music. Wow. So listening to it fast kind of distorts that. But yeah, check yeah. it out. It's really good.
0: Man, I'm actually going to look this up. Not that I don't take all of your affirmations like exactly into my heart, but this one sounds pretty amazing. And yeah. I would not have expected that this is where we would start today. That, yeah, I mean, you had me at hymns. I feel pretty good about twins. Like I have no, <laughs> I mean, that, that seems like a, an amazing additional feature and benefit of the podcast. So they're, they're twins. Did you say that one of them is an organist?
1: Yes. Yeah. So, So one of them is, Uh, more of a vocal. I mean, they're both excellent singers, but one of them does more of the vocal stuff in in the church. And the other one is the accompaniment. So she plays the organ and piano and everything during the service. Um, So they're just both very musical. I think they're both opera trained singers. They're both excellent singers. Yeah, that's incredible. It's good stuff. So I,
0: I, I have this thing. I don't know when this started for me, but I feel like at some point in my life, I made this commitment That whenever organists were going to be mentioned, that I need to stand up on behalf of organists. I don't know how to play the piano. I don't know how to play the organ. I wish that I did. But that's a dying breed, especially Mm -hmm. the organ in particular, of course. And organists are amazing. The amount of technical precision that it takes to play the organ is something like almost otherworldly. So. what's unfortunate is that a lot of people view that instrument as completely outmooted. Nothing is actually further from the truth. It's an amazing piece of instrumental equipment and somebody who can play that well, especially both the foot pedals and all the keys of various levels. It's exceptional. So like, I wish we'd go more back to that. I know that like the sound is something that sounds like classical and old, but really it is an exceptional instrument. So I don't know why, but I feel like I need to defend organists all over the world. Yeah. So I'm really excited to listen to this because, and actually they have like a really unique insight into music if you play the organ. So I'm going to jump on this, even though I haven't heard it, I'm yeah. I'm literally going to download it after this and give a listen.
1: Yeah. Playing the organ is kind of, it's kind of like, uh, playing two pianos at once, but you're pa- <laughs> you're playing one of them with your feet. Like yeah. it's like, that's what people don't realize if you don't know the organ is there's a whole other keyboard underneath that the the organist is playing with their feet and and it's not just that they're playing additional notes but those those foot pedals often change the tone and the the key of the the pedals they're playing so it's it's a really marvelously complex instrument and it even all has some sorts of percussion elements in it with the way that they have to like manage their feet it's you're right like organ organists are a uh a dying breed and they are you can make a lot of money if you're a good organist. Yeah, Like you can, you can basically work an entire summer doing weddings and not have to work the rest of the year. So
0: yeah. So when, when my wife and I got married, we had an organist play because we were in a church that had the full, like piped out organ and it was incredible. And he was actually a member of the church that we attended at the time. And he played the organ there. And this is one of the few instruments, like this is how, you know, your musical career is legit because he would be like, He'd say things like, "Oh, I gotta show." When we invited him to like the rehearsal dinner, for instance, he was like, "Okay, let me just make sure I can run home real quick because I need to get my organ shoes. Because like you need to wear a particular type of shoe Mm -hmm. that allows you the access to all of the individual pedals underneath the organ that are that are playing all the instruments." And, not man, we could do a whole show in organ, so you're gonna have to shut me down at some point, but. When last summer, when I listened to an organ recital, it was actually a present organ recital, you know Bach wrote lots of music for organ, part of the music he wrote just for the feet, like there are yeah. several pieces that are all footwork, and they sound incredible, so again, aside from drummers who also use their feet, but not to this degree, I would argue. This is like an unparalleled musical experience. So yeah. would you all please love your organist? Like if you're in a church where there's like a legit organ, like go hug that person yeah. and say, thank you. Well, maybe not now because of social yeah, distance, don't hug them but now. yeah. But, but at least say like verbally, I want to hug you so bad because you're an organist.
1: Also, if you say that though, you probably want to follow up and explain why that is. Cause that, <laughs> that statement on its own coming out of nowhere, is a little weird. They'll
0: know. They'll know.
1: Yeah, I have a lot of respect for that. I can barely walk and not fall over. (laughs) Um, So when I think about trying to and and I definitely cannot play piano, I I can't even type very well without typos. So, you know, I'm thinking about like trying to use my hands to play piano and then use my feet to also play piano. And and there's a, a thousand other kinds of things. It's it's one of those instruments that is so. You know, like a guitar is six strings and a hollow box. Like that's a guitar. Right. And, right. And, and, and like, it's relatively easy to understand. This is a whole different, a whole different animal. This this is one of those things that you look at it. And you, if you think that the, the so-called dark ages were just a bunch of stupid people who smelled like poop, a la Monty Python, um, <laughs> then you realize that they invented things uh, like the organ, uh, you that's realize, great. yeah, that's it's a great. totally different animal.
0: By the way, if you want to look up, if you have some free time and you want to look up something really entertaining, look up like early, like just Google early organ or early organ stories. There's so many stories about, because those had to be pumped like manually right. because they were pushing air through. Yeah. So there's so many like amazing stories of like, even like Puritan preachers where the sermon would be followed up by like an organ and like the organ pumper dudes were like, how long is this sermon going to go? Cause I want to go eat lunch and I've yeah. got to wait here until I can pump the organ. So yeah. it's just an amazing Part of the history of the church, so yeah. I'm with you.
1: Yeah, an, an organ is really like a giant, like a giant bagpipe. Actually, yeah, it's in like a, lot a bellows. Of ways. Yeah. yeah, it's it's pretty sweet. So, ch- so yeah. check out the it's podcast. Pretty sweet, and also check out uh an organ.
0: <laughs> can we can we codify that as like our official statement? Organs yeah. colon, they're the pretty best.
1: sweet. The best instrument.
0: <laughs> the best. Like you were like the best. I was like they're pretty sweet. <laughs>
1: <laughs> all right. Well, what are you affirming before we get into the all denials all the time episode?
0: I love that. Make it a hashtag. I'm keeping with the theme that you started. I'm going back to music and I'm going on record as saying that I will bring this affirmation back. So for all those who are listening, who will in the future say you already affirm that I'm going to say to you right now, I know. And I told you so. So, I'm affirming with an album, one of the things that I've recommended before or affirmed before is a group called Wolves at the Gate, an amazing Christian hardcore group. In 2019, they released an album called Eclipse, and it was beautiful and amazing, and I recommended it. And what they're going back now and doing is they're kind of releasing it or re-releasing it under the album name of Dawn but they're taking the songs and they're stripping them down, making them more acoustic. They're beautiful. They're haunting. They're accessible. If you're the kind of person that says like, I really can't get down with that kind of music where there's a little bit more screaming. They've taken all the pieces and they're reinterpreting them or reimagining them. And the reason why I'm saying you're going to hear it again is because this album Dawn, they've only released two of the songs. And so it's out there for you to sample. And I really encourage you to do that. I ran a test this week. I took this album, I played it for my wife who does not like hardcore music. And first her response was, oh, this sounds like an emo group. And I was like, no, 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 no. But that, that's, a, that's a fair try. But she was like, I like this music. Then I played the actual version of the song and she was like, I don't like this music. <laughs> 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 so I'm affirming with the album Dawn, which is by Wolves at the Gate. It's a reimagining or reinterpretation of their album called Eclipse it's really beautiful music. So actually without getting into this in too much detail, I actually feel like one of the marks of a true artist is the ability to reinterpret something that they produced before in an entirely different way and to maybe draw in a different whole genre of listeners. And I think they've done that here. So I think people will find this music accessible and beautiful. The theology is absolutely wonderful. So it's definitely worth giving a listen to. And I'll certainly, I'm sure affirm it again when the full album is released I'm not sure exactly when that will be, but it's coming up.
1: Well, I also will probably not be checking that out, but (laughs) I can appreciate how much you appreciate (laughs) this particular flavor of music.
0: I think you will like this one. Well, that's, so that's kind of why I'm affirming it is because if you listen to this, you'd say, oh, this is a group that I could actually enjoy because the music is like acoustic and there's, there's strings in it. It's, It's wonderful and it's beautiful and it's contemplative. And I think you—it's—that's what's so amazing—is you would never imagine that the music itself started or was originally released in more of a harder way. So I think that's what's beautiful. So I hope actually more people will start to maybe appreciate them and enjoy them because the name Wolves at the Gate—that's just an amazing name for a band. It is so, a good.
1: It's a good name. It's
0: and of course it comes. It connotes like something of uh, there's a hard edge to that. Yeah. But this music is. Is decidedly not that way. So actually I'm seeing that the release date of this album is October 9th. Okay. So you can actually, you can actually be ahead. We're trying to get people on the cutting edge of music. So you've got hymns and twin. What was it? Him talking? Him
1: talk, twin talk.
0: Him talk, twin talk. Yes. And Wolves at the Gate, Dawn. These are two things that really haven't happened yet or just happening now. So you can get right on the ground level.
1: So I, I will trust you and I will try this album out. But one of one of my favorite scenes from The Office is Michael and Andy and Dwight go out to eat for lunch with this guy (laughs) that they think is part of the mafia. And uh, Uh, Michael wants to try to appear all like on top of things and really like strong. So he's kind of mimicking this guy. And this guy orders a meal and he says something like if this comes out with something on top of it, I send it, <laughs> send it back. And so Michael then is like, I would like a salad with dressing on the side. If the dressing is on top, I send it back. So I will check out this episode, <laughs> but if I hear screaming, I send
0: it back. I send it back. I send Fair. it back. Fair enough. There's, there's not in these first two songs they've released so far, no screaming. So okay. it, they're against it's, it's a total re reimagining. So, all right. So how about we get to, the episode that came from denials. Yes. And I would love for you to introduce the topic that we're talking about on this episode.
1: So I don't think anyone is going to be surprised that we would be denying this. I think I think people would be surprised that we're not denying this, um, partially because of our history with Doug Wilson, and then partially because of our history with COVID, and then also because of our history with civil disobedience. Uh, so I'm going to try to be charitable. Uh, I'm probably going to fail. So please be charitable with me. But last week, um, Doug Wilson's church in Moscow, Idaho, I almost said Iowa, which is not correct, in Moscow, Idaho, sponsored what they call a flash psalm sing. And what this was, and this is this is this goes back to our don't pass things on on the internet without checking out the facts first right. um, episode. What this was, it was not them gathering in their own parking lot. I saw people say that. It was not them... Uh, doing something that started in their church and spilled out into their parking lot. I've seen people say that. What this was, was uh, a group of Christians gathering at the local city hall, right? So they weren't at their church. They weren't on private property. They were on public property in order to protest, not... Um, not bans on worship gathering. In Idaho, they've been able to gather indoors for worship without regulations or restrictions, as far as I know, since May 1st. They were protesting the fact that the government in Idaho, I don't know if it's a state or a town ordinance. I would assume it's probably a town ordinance since they went to the city hall. Um, They were protesting that uh, they are required to wear masks indoors and outdoors where it is difficult in, in situations where it's difficult to maintain six feet of distance, and that they are to attempt to maintain six feet of distance between other members of the community who are not among their household. So right? They went to gather and sing psalms, and they did this in an act of protest. Which was not originally, as far as I can tell, was not originally intended to be an act of civil disobedience. Uh, Doug Wilson on his blog says that they uh, when they arrived, they were greeted by police officers who informed them that everyone was going to be required to masks, they were going to be required to maintain social distance. Um, and so as the event went on, um, apparently some people did not wear masks and some people did not maintain six feet of social distance, and three of their members or three of their number were arrested. Um, one of them was named Gabriel Wrench, who is also running for local office in the area. Right. And he was not only arrested um, for failure to adhere to this mask ordinance or this social distancing ordinance, but he also uh, refused to provide his identification when he was requested to. And now I know that there's a legal question about whether the police can require your identification when you are not being charged with a crime or not being um, accused of a crime. That question aside i don't I don't know the legality of that I'm not that doesn't but it doesn't really matter. That's the the beauty of this. It doesn't really matter because he right. was being cited for a crime so he he refused to provide his identification even though he was being cited for a crime uh, and so he was also arrested but not charged. He was also arrested, more or less, for resisting arrest or obstructing uh, obstructing arrest or something along those lines. I don't know all the legal yes. details. Um, the the statutes are are different state to state, but it was something akin to resisting arrest, um, which apparently in Idaho they request your identification when they're arresting you, which seems reasonable to me. So, uh, so the news broke, and of course, uh, everybody in the world is like, "Oh my goodness, this is Christian persecution." Um, which I I'm pretty sure it's not actually, and we're going to talk about that. Um, so so what the denial that both Jesse and Hi, funny, Jesse. Jesse doesn't usually call me out of the blue. <laughs> Normally he texts me. We we, we talk a lot. Uh, we, yes. we text more or less every day. We have conversations going on throughout the day, but it's I'm sitting at home. I, was it Wednesday? I think it was Wednesday, Wednesday I think or it was Thursday. Wednesday, yeah. um, I'm sitting at home on Wednesday afternoon <laughs> and I get a phone call from Jesse. And and when the phone rings from Jesse, I'm like, oh my goodness, something must really be wrong. Something's happened. He's in a car accident <laughs> or something. And he he basically says like, what are these nates doing? Like, what's wrong with these people? And right. I, I agree wholeheartedly. And so we, we wanted to talk a little bit today, not not necessarily about the specifics of what happened in Moscow, Idaho. Um, Scott Clark has done a phenomenal job, in my opinion, of kind of articulating and chronicling what actually happened. Um, right. You know, Doug Wilson's um, Doug Wilson's post on this is very typical Doug Wilson. So it's, it's very bombastic. Um, But he does say there was a news story reported that is accurate in his estimation. So I would encourage you to go to Doug Wilson's website. Um, It's, it's uh, Doug Wills, uh, dot com, And the article is titled Our Incident at City Hall. Um, I would encourage you to read it, right? We're not asking you to buy what we're saying wholesale or or without critique, but I would ask you to read it. And um, he links to a news article which he says is favorable, although it seems he underestimates or he thinks they underestimated how many people were present. So a relatively, uh, in the grand scheme of things, a relatively minor fact about how many were people were or weren't present. So I ch- encourage you to check it out. But I think there's two things that we need to note before we really think about this event and then we use that as a springboard. This was not a protest against religious persecution or religious restrictions. Right. Um, the, the church in Moscow, Doug Wilson's church is not facing any restrictions whatsoever in terms of their ability to gather indoors. They're not being told they can't sing. They're not being told that they can't have communion. They're not being told they can't gather. They're simply being told that they are required to wear masks indoors in instances where they're not able to keep a six foot distance, which is what everyone in the state by law is required to do. So it's not specific to churches or sports clubs or anything. Now, whether that's being applied, uh, you know, uh, applied evenly across the board, I think is always an open question. It's probably not, but that's the law or, or the orders that are in place. But Doug Wilson and his group self-consciously went to protest a law about masks and social distancing, not right. to protest some sort of restriction on the gathering of worship. That's important to note. So, yes. so presumably, and and we can get into arguments about whether or not this is the case, but presumably, if the local, um, the local coffee shop went with two hundred of their closest friends to the city hall and protested and some of them refused to wear masks and refused to stand six feet apart um, they would also have faced the same situation i guess you can make an argument that maybe they wouldn't we don't know but as far as what i can tell that's what happened and and here's here's one other thing the city hall employees knew this was happening this wasn't a surprise not like they just showed up as doug wilson indicates there was a, there was a police officer there that greeted them, explained what the re, you know, what the restrictions were, what the requirements were. Doug Wilson says he agreed to communicate that to the people who were there and says he did. So there seems to have been a relatively cordial exchange. But it actually if you look at the photos, the, the they actually went out and made little rings on the ground for them. They, they actually were helping them protest by showing them how far apart they had to stand. So all these people right. had to do to engage in their peaceful protest and sing psalms at the city hall, all they had to do was to stand on the circles and wear their masks. That was it. And and some people refused to do that. And now they face legal consequences for that. Right. So, so the denial comes in, the shared denial that Jesse and I bring forward. And, and you can add to this in a second here. But the shared denial is... That these people very well could have engaged in this protest and and not faced any sort of legal consequences, presumably, had they simply followed the aid that the state was giving them in saying, yes, you have a right to peaceful protest. Here's the context. Here's the way you do it. If you do this, there won't be any problems. Um, Not only are we going to allow you to do this, but we're actually going to help you by giving you clear instructions and clear requirements. Um, And they chose not to do it. And then when they got arrested for breaking the law and refusing to follow the rules, they uh, they are acting now as though this is some state overreach act of Christian persecution that they're now facing, which is yes. manifestly not the case.
0: Right. That, yeah, that's... <laughs> What people can't see is I love that you said all that stuff and then offered up like you put your palm extended outward <laughs> as if like, here, go ahead. It's a platter now for you to enjoy. So, I, of course, I agree with you. This is what started this whole thing. And I'm hoping that what we can add to in this conversation is lots of people have talked about this. But what I'm sensing that's missing from this kind of just general discussion is how do we discern what is Christian persecution, not prosecution, but persecution, and what is not? Because in our culture, especially in the United States, we tend to conflate what is religious American liberty with this idea that Christians are being persecuted for their beliefs. And whether you're being nefarious about this or not, there's a sense of of trying to conflate the two that causes mass confusion. and gets people really fired up. So where I first became aware of this is because I saw on Twitter that somebody had posted and and actually this became the norm in some ways. Somebody posted Christians are being arrested in Moscow, Idaho for singing psalms. Right. That that was the headline. And so lots of people were reacting to that headline right. that said that well Christians clearly all they're trying to do is sing the words of God, the gospel. And now the police are arresting them. This seems not only against everything that's in the Constitution of the United States, but also everything that's against what it means to be a Christian, that we ought to then be the kind of people that stand up against this kind of, not just injustice, but now we're talking about the government (laughs) actually actively pushing against what is all of the things that it means to be a Christian. And so this is what push me into actually reading this. And I want to say like in, in, I think this is appropriate to say in terms of the conversation we're about to have. Normally we joke somewhat tongue in cheek that we never prepare for the things that we talk about. But in this case, because we just, of course, came off this episode where we talked about the Ninth Commandment, we wanted to be very certain of the details that we're about to speak of here. And so I know that you've read a lot. I've read a lot. We've read from Doug Wilson's blog, which you've already quoted before, to get a sense for what it is that happened according to his own words. And so everything that we're evaluating as a springboard for this deeper conversation comes from a sense of, we've read, I think, as most as we possibly could about what actually took place in this this particular instance. And so... I'm not only hundred percent with what you're saying, I'm, I'm embarrassed because I think this idea of immediately conflating what took place in Moscow, or again, this jump, this quick jump from somehow where we're trying to push against like, I would say like American liberties, and then we're bringing those in or smuggling them into some kind of religious persecution is an embarrassment, not only to the American ideal, which some won't understand because they're not even listening to us in America, but also this is against Christianity that we should be embarrassed because it's a misrepresentation. This is a violation of the ninth commandment. And so Christian persecution, which I think is what we're going to talk about is an ambiguous definition. It's an objective reality in many places. So cut to all those places where religious liberties do not exist or where religious liberties are being eradicated, where Christians and members of other religions are not free to gather to worship God, according to the scripture or conscience. So in many places around the world, people face arrest because they gather to worship, not because they gather in defiance of whatever they feel like is unscientific fact about whether or not they have to wear masks. And so in the USA, on maybe an entirely different scale, of course, as we talked about already, Christians have legitimate concerns about the degree to which, like, for instance, the state of California is willing to circumvent the First Amendment rights of religious congregations in their fight against COVID-19. That's not what we're talking about here. In Moscow, in this instance, which is the spring before the conversation, this is neither a first or it's not, it's not in the first group or the second group with respect to religious liberty. And so what I'm after in our conversation is how do we appropriately discern what is Christian persecution? Right. And what is some way smuggling in some sense of what the government has already established as a, say, liberty of a right? And I think in this case, we have a a pure conflation of both those things. And what makes me so upset and embarrassed for Christians is that in this case, it's being promulgated. They're selling a bill of goods to Christians that says, look, fellow Christians, in Moscow, Christians are being sent to jail or being handcuffed because all they wanted to do was sing the Psalms. And that's a massive misrepresentation of what's happening here. In my estimation, if, and I think like, Maybe I wish we could cut to the Apostle Paul being like, that's not what this is about. Like, this is right. not what this is about at all. Like, I think if you're going to claim persecution the same way that you and I have said, you can't use the word heretic. You can't throw that around with any like capriciousness. You can't throw around the idea of persecution in a capricious way. If you're being persecuted, it better be because somebody is literally saying to you, if you take the, the name of Jesus upon your lips again, I'm going to put you in cuffs. Right. If you come at me with the gospel presentation a public proclamation, I'm going to put you in jail. Until we get to that point, what's happened here is so far misrepresentation and whether it, again, is the idea of pushing forward some kind of agenda. And I would, as you did, point everybody to R. Scott Clark, who I think enumerated the arguments for this and explained the situation in greater detail than we will, especially with respect to like there's this particular gentleman who, one of them who was arrested is running for office. There's lots of commingled right. incentives here and different objectives. It's really hard to parse out. And that's why I think we really have to get to the bottom line is what is persecution?
1: Yeah. And, and I want to just, I, I just want to re underscore this. So I think, um, right. The, the, the ninth commandment not only requires us to promote good and promote truth between men, but it also right. requires us to read a situation in the, the most possible charitable light without uh, without kind of violating principles of logic and just reasonableness. Fair enough. So I, I, w- I will go on record saying that I think that Scott has maybe been a little bit more inflammatory than he ought to have been by calling this a publicity stunt simply because that has to do with motivations that we can't read. But I do I do want to say this. I think that the people in Moscow really think that they're facing Christian persecution. And here's yes. why. Right. So I'm going to right. read a little bit. This is from the article that Doug Wilson says is mostly accurate, right? He says the, yes. the quibble he has is that there was about 300 people there where the article says there was about 40 people there. So I, I don't know. I have no idea how many people were there, but that's what he says is the inaccuracy. So they're quoting Ben Zorn's, who is a pastor at Christ Church in, in Moscow, and and Zorn says, uh, and this is a summary from the the journalist. So it says Zorn said police officers acted calmly and made it clear they were going to enforce the face mask order with arrests, saying officers flex their muscles. So th- there's the first part is. Zorns is not, if, if this is accurate, which Doug Wilson tells us it's accurate, if it's accurate, I'm not sure that saying that the police, police officers are flexing their muscles because they're calmly order, you know, calmly informing you, here's the law. If you violate it, we're going to enforce the law. I don't know if that's a muscle flex. It seems like that's a violation of the fifth commandment, um, But it also says here, Christchurch Pastor Doug Wilson warned attendees at the start of the event they could be cited by police for not wearing masks or social distancing, right? So so Doug Wilson says, uh, tells his people, if you don't wear your masks, if you don't social distance, you might be cited by the police, right? Zorns says that the police officers acted calmly, And made it clear they were going to quote enforce the face mask order with arrests, right? But then here's here's the next line, quote: "We were just singing songs," Zorn said. So so we have two pastors: we have Doug Wilson, we have Ben Zorns, both pastors at Christ Church in Idaho. Both of them are saying, uh, "The police are going to arrest us for not wearing masks and not social distancing." But then in the same breath in the same thought, and and maybe this is, maybe there's a nuanced way they've articulated this that I'm not seeing, but in the same, basically the same context, they're now saying we were arrested for singing songs. All we were doing was singing songs. Well, with all due respect, Pastor Wilson and Pastor Sorens, no, no, absolutely not. You are lying. You are lying, whether you know it or not. You are lying. You are breaking the Ninth Commandment because you were right. not just wearing, not just singing songs. Right. The people who were cited were singing songs and also violating the clearly issued orders that Doug Wilson and Ben Zorns knew about and in fo- and state they informed the people about. So Gabriel Wrench and the other two people who were arrested. And then there was two additional people who were issued citations who were not arrested. Those five people knew, at least if Doug Wilson is is telling the truth and this article is accurate, which Doug Wilson says it is, they knew that if they did not wear their masks and they did not maintain social distance, that they faced arrest. They knew that and they chose to break those laws they were not arrested for singing songs and we know that because whether it's whether it's uh 35 other people according to the article or whether it's 295 other people according to Doug Wilson we know that those people also were singing songs and none of them were cited or arrested yes so before we go on to talk about the you know the, the general idea of what is persecution how do we know it what do we do about it we have to clearly say that this is not i don't think it's okay i think that it In my estimation, I think that the government is overstepping their bounds with uh, some of the laws and the regulations they're putting in place. And I say that as someone who has been active in my community to ask our community to write and enforce a mask ordinance. So I say that saying, like, I think it's okay for our community to put into place reasonable masking ordinances or reasonable, reasonable social distance ordinancing. I think that in a lot of communities, particularly in community in California, definitely not in Idaho, um, but particularly in some of the more liberal areas, the government has overstepped their bounds. And I actually don't think if Gabriel Wrench and these other four people were were exercising civil disobedience, they have every right to do that. If they think the law is unjust, they have every right to to exercise right. respectful civil de- disobedience and to accept the consequences. and And that's their prerogative, right? But- this is not a case where the people didn't know what was expected of them, where right. they, they didn't have a chance to do what was right. They didn't have a chance to obey. And they most certainly were not arrested for singing songs or for peacefully protesting. Yes, and I've right. heard both of, those, both of those reasons given. And I've heard both of those reasons come out of places like Doug Wilson's blog and out of Zorn's mouth and Gabriel Wrench's mouth. Those things are not true. They are objectively not true simply by comparing the statements of Doug Wilson and Ben Zorn's to the statements of Doug Wilson and Ben Zorn's, right? They, they recognize what the consequences were. They state they told their people what the consequences were, and some people chose to ignore it, and they face legal consequences. That is right. not persecution. That is simply, whether it's a just law or not, that is simply people choosing to disobey the law and, file, and receiving consequences for choosing to disobey the law.
0: Yes. So the bottom line is that and this gets us into a discussion to some extent. Civil disobedience is not necessarily religious persecution. Right. So yes. th- the some who identify with Christ Church th- these people chose to defy the order to make a point. And that is their right as Americans right. under the Constitution of the United States. But civil disobedience has a price. And so their rests were for resisting an officer. And in my estimation, that's actually ungodly. That's criminal right. behavior, which is condemned in God's word. So right. the police officers of Moscow were charged by law and duty with keeping the peace. Right. Members of the movement chose to protest a law that they find unjust, which is their right as Americans, but there is no right to resist or obstruct officers. This is where I don't want to say it gets clouded. I think this is where we need discernment. This is where we need Christian leaders those who are, especially those who are saying that they're in charge of churches to actually discern this in a more profound way. So as to lead their people in a way that follows and honors the Lord Jesus Christ without bringing shame on his name. And I think that when we conflate these two, it actually brings shame on the name of Jesus Christ, because if you're going to get arrested and say like, this is because of persecution, it better be because of persecution. Right. You, 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 we have an amazing amount of freedoms and liberties and ability to express those in the country of the United States of America. Right. And we should not dare conflate those. What it means to honor the gospel. And I think that part of what Doug Wilson might argue, and I'm just interpreting this from his own writings is that basically what they're saying is, well, this is a form of derivative persecution because if a different group had shown up with a different objective, they wouldn't have been arrested. Right. And I'm not sure that I agree with that because I think as, as you've already said, If that group had shown up and was singing Bon Jovi's living on a prayer, but was not willing to be socially distant or, and I think or is a critical word there, or wearing the mask, they still would have been arrested. Now, these expectations were set out very cleanly and very succinctly. And so it had nothing to do with the religious expression at hand. It had to do with the scientific underpinnings of what it meant to try to be safe in this environment right. with respect to COVID-19. Yeah. And I think that everywhere around the world, Christians somehow, sometimes use this as an inflammatory way of bringing about some kind of perceived sense of persecution, which either I think you have to really work to make it derivative. And in many ways, you have to really work hard. You have to do the, all these gymnastics to emphasize something that you believe in an extreme way that yeah. we're being pushed down. I just don't see that to be the truth here. And I think when we violate this commandment, the ninth commandment in respect to this situation, you know, of course it goes without saying, but we are dishonoring God. So the bottom line is, the thing that I'm struggling with right now, why we want to talk about this is somebody is wrong, right? right. Like somebody is wrong in this situation. Either we're, we're completely wrong in our assessment of this, or they're completely wrong to promulgate this idea that what happened here was, was persecution. And I, I should add that there was like a second follow-up event to this this one that we're talking about where they went back and they sang again. Nobody was arrested that time. And here's what's wild. At that point, it had garnered so much attention that people, presumably some of them unbelievers, had shown up as counter protests to these people singing the Psalms. They were holding signs that say something like this, according to one article from the, the local Moscow paper that said, uh, loving your neighbor means wearing a mask. Yeah. When I read that, I, I was dumbfounded. Right. I, I was undone by like the, the person who is saying, I understand enough of your scriptures or enough of your belief system to say that like when you put on the mask, that means that you're protecting me. Right. You ought to do that type of thing. I mean, that's not to say that the the article also quoted that somebody else was holding a sign that said, I like tacos. Yeah. <laughs> <There's> <laughs> so always that was also happening. Yeah, that was also happening. But like, is it possible that like, according again, I love this quote from like Malcolm Muggeridge, where he says like, we've educated ourselves into imbecility that we've done the same thing here. We've got ourselves so twisted on this issue that we've wanted to impose what is not persecution on ourselves. Yeah. When even the unbelievers are saying, is that the loving thing to do to just be socially distant and wear the mask? Like, yeah. How do we even process that?
1: Yeah. And I want to, I want to make one more thing clear. Um, Before we go on, because I know there are some people who are going to hear this episode, either because they're regular Reform Brotherhood listeners or because this gets shared with somebody who are going to say something along the lines of unjust laws must not be followed. Okay, okay let's let's say let's say for the sake of argument that that's true, that that's true. This th- there are all sorts of things, and I want to reunderscore this. I'm not just I, I guess I am saying this for rhetorical effect, but not just for rhetorical effect. I'm saying this because I have a reliable source who tells me that this article in this in this newspaper is correct, and that reliable source is Doug Wilson himself. So right. so before people say like you're twisting the facts, the article got it wrong. Go back to Doug Wilson and tell him that the article got it wrong because he says it didn't. So. As I said, Gabriel Wrench, and honestly, I'm not 100 percent sure what Gabriel Wrench's relationship is to Christchurch, um, Idaho, and Moscow. I'm not I'm not 100 sure, but Gabriel Wrench, who is also running for local office, right? He was the one that was arrested for what what seems like something like resisting arrest or obstructing justice, and the the police chief of in Moscow says that the reason he was arrested was for not giving his identification to the officer. But then the police chief's name is Fry says Fry said, the officer who arrested wrench knew who he was, but that wrench refused to provide his identification after the officer requested it. So not only do we have people who are willfully and knowingly violating a law that the, the, the city has done everything in their power to make them aware of and to help them follow, right? They, they painted these little circles on the ground refusing to give your identification to someone who knows who you are is just pig headed stubbornness. That would be like if um, if I, this actually happens at the hospital sometimes every once in a while, someone will call in and I will know the person, right? It's a sm- relatively small community. I will know the person. And when they tell me their name, um, I'm just going to say John Smith because there are people named John Smith, but it's the generic, you know, kind of or John Doe. Right. John Doe calls me and I know John Doe. I recognize John Doe's voice. John Doe lives on my street. Right. I still have to ask John Doe what his birth date is. I still have to ask right. him to verify his mailing address because those are the things that we are required to do to make sure we're in the right chart to make sure we've got the right person if john doe refuses to give me his birth date out of some misguided sense of privacy or uh, something then what i'm going to do as an employee of the hospital is i'm going to inform john doe i'm sorry but if you cannot validate your date of birth if you cannot validate your identifying information then i cannot assist you right? I'm not being unjust. I'm not being stubborn. John Doe right. is being stubborn by not providing. And I might even say, look, John, this is Tony. You, you lived you're four, do- four doors down the street from me. I know <laughs> when your birthday is. I was at your birthday party last year, right? I might say that to the person. Right. And if they say, I'm not giving it to you, I'm not giving it to you because you don't have any right to it. I'm going to say, well, that, that's your prerogative. That's your choice. Right. But I, I cannot continue to operate within your chart without properly validating your information. And, and at that point, it's John Doe who's being stubborn, right? It's Gabriel Wrench who's being stubborn. Gabriel right. Wrench is a well-known political figure in the area, right? Just like any political figure, he's got ads running. You know, the local the local people know him. He's probably done events where he's had to have security. Like, he's got all that, right? You, you don't do local politics without without interacting with the police chief and, and getting the support of different groups, right? I learned all that from uh, Parks and Rec. So... <laughs> <laughs> so this was sheer, pure stubbornness. This was not yes. refusing to provide an office for something. He did not have a right to know. He had a right to know it because he was making an arrest. He was issuing a citation or chart alleging a citation, right? He had every right to ask for it and he knew it. He knew who the guy was. So before we go on, I wanted to, est- that the reason I'm harping on this is because I want to clearly establish, we are not talking about a group of people who were unreasonably persecuted by the law, who were treated differently, It appears in the article that Doug Wilson says is accurate. It appears as though the law, the the state, the police specifically, but the the city hall staff, they did everything they could to enable this event to happen. And as you pointed out, and as I pointed out, the other 300, let's assume Doug's right about the name, about the numbers. The other 295 people who were there did not get arrested or cited. And the people who came... To this second event, which also the state knew was happening, did not get cited or arrested. Right. So it's, it's clear in this case, before we move on to some hypotheticals, it's clear in this case by Doug Wilson and Ben Zorn's own words and by what, what's available in the public record, which a, a, a good standing witness, Doug Wilson, has confirmed, it's clear that this is not a case of persecution. This right. is a case of local people breaking local laws and being arrested by local magistrates and facing charges in local courts. That, that's what this right. is. They weren't arrested for singing psalms. They weren't arrested for worshiping. They were never told they couldn't sing psalms. They were never told they couldn't worship. They haven't even been told that they can't have a certain number of people in their building on Sunday, which is something that churches all over the country are facing, apparently except in Moscow, Idaho. But they still are not satisfied with that. They want to now take... And th- this this isn't the subject of our topic tonight, but it's something I want to say. Right? They have now taken a political protest... And they have now brought in Christianity into something that is not intrinsically yes. religious,
0: right? Yes, exactly. If, if they
1: want to get together and protest, I am not 100% sure what singing psalms has to do with masking ordinances. Exactly. I, I don't know that. I don't understand it. And so what they've done is they've now connected the singing of psalms they've, and they've I know I said I wasn't going to speak on motives, but I have to think because Doug Wilson is not a stupid guy. So this is the most charitable read I can have on this. He has to understand what he's doing. He has to understand that he is wedding psalm singing or or I suppose Ben Zorn uh, is the one who organized this event. Doug Wilson obviously was involved. He has now wedded psalm singing or Christian expression of worship with political activism in a very explicit way. And given that Doug Wilson is a theonomist, that should not surprise us. He's not only a theonomist, he's a reconstructionist. So that should not surprise us. That is his intention to bring Christianity into the public sphere and to wed them together because he doesn't see that they're distinct in the first place. But for all of the rest of us who are not theonomists, this seems to me to be just an unwise fusion of Christianity and political activism that i look at martin luther king we talked about uh, a couple weeks ago on the show or last week on the show i look at martin luther king dragging christian christian language into unchristian not necessarily unchristian but secular pursuits and fusing them together i look at that suspiciously i also look at that when I look at Liberty University and Jerry Falwell and the, right. this so-called uh, religious right, I look at that and I say, you know what? That's really not it. Like we shouldn't use Christianity as a political bargaining chip. And that's exactly what is happening in Moscow yes. Idaho,
0: right now. Yes, that's well said. I, th- I think that's like the the best thing that we can help challenge listeners with is that when you read these things, we really need to have a discerning spirit. And that spirit should come from Christ. It shouldn't come from... Our political affiliation, or from the government under which we find ourselves in authority, it should come from what does the Bible say, with respect to what it means to be persecuted. And the, the thing about this situation is that, you know, it's not just that. Well, see, this is what's helpful is, and this was helpful to me is once I started to read, I read Doug Wilson's post, I started to read a little bit more broadly about people talking about that, getting a sense for a better sense for what Christchurch is all about. I understood that they were theonomists. So I was like, well, this colors everything. That changes then the, at least presumably the intent of what's going on here. But then the Christian reconstructionist stuff, I was like, okay, well, that's like another whole level of this because we're anticipating some kind of inauguration of a reconstructed Christian society, which enforces these kind of like judicial, Judaic, you know, mosaic laws. Uh, But then even beyond that, there's a, an underlying paradigm of like post-millennial eschatology, right. which is at play here too. So now we're seeing like how theology is actually informing this situation. Right. And then beyond that, the leadership of Christ church affirms a federal vision theology, which we right. talked about, which confesses this idea of like every baptized person receives all the benefits of Christ provisionally right. and retains for final justification by sufficient co- cooperation with grace. It's in many ways. It's almost like we, you and I, have been talking about this for so long. It's just that, that now all of this got wrapped up in a single occurrence. Right. All this stuff matters, but we really need to be. What I'm, what I'm so concerned about is how is this different than somebody bringing about, let's say, like the prosperity gospel and saying, "Well, this is what Christianity is about. It's about being healthy, wealthy, and wise, and that's what God wants for you." Right. I see that this is the same type of thing by a different label. Am I being too extreme about that?
1: No, I I think what this incident illustrates is in reference to persecution is that it's very easy to blur the lines. It's very easy to take things that are right. You and I have been very clear through the course of this podcast. All things are theological. There's nothing in life that is not theological in its nature, right? We, we reflect on everything in light of the scriptures, in light of the gospel of Jesus Christ, in light of who God has made us as image bearers to be, in light of who God is. We reflect on all things in that context. And I said last week that a person who goes into politics brings with them everything it means to be a Christian. A Christian in right. politics is a Christian in politics, not just a Christian who does politics, but a Christian. Yes. They're still a Christian, right? So I'm not saying... That we should not bring our faith to bear on political issues or or, or issues of secular concern, right? But in this instance, because they chose to make their protest by engaging in outward worship, they've now blurred the line. So it makes it very hard to see that they were not persecuted for their faith. They were persecuted while, or they they were arrested while doing something related to their faith. But they were not persecuted for their faith and exactly. and here's the other element that I want to make sure we touch on is in the early church right people are very quick to point back to people like Polycarp um, or or other early Christian martyrs right they're quick to point back and say that they boldly faced their persecutors right they they didn't they didn't flinch in the face of persecution. But what that misses is that the uniform testimony of the Orthodox early church is that not only is it okay to flee from persecution, but it's a godly thing to seek to preserve your life. And right. that is not just something that the early church says, that is something that actually finds its root in the Bible itself. So I want to read this is from Matthew uh, 24. Uh, starting in verse 15, right? This is the Olivet Discourse. This is Jesus talking to his people about what's going to happen after his death, what's going to happen with the destruction of the temple, right? Obviously, I'm a preterist, so there's elements of this that were fulfilled in the first century. He says, So, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains, let the one who is on the housetop not go down to take what's in his house. Let the one who is in the field not go back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that your flight might not be winter or on the Sabbath, right? So what Jesus is saying is bad stuff is going to happen. There, this evil figure is going to take his place. You're going to see him. You're going to know what he's doing and you should run, Right, so at least in some circumstances, Jesus com- not not only allows for his people to flee from persecution, but commands his people to flee to preserve their lives. Right, so the early church took this teaching that Jesus had, and they applied right. this specific principle, their specific command, to the general principle. And so, people like Polycarp, right? Everybody is quick to say, "Yeah, Polycarp stood boldly. He didn't. He didn't flee from persecution." What people don't know. Because they haven't actually read the martyrdom account of Polycarp is that he had actually like he had actually fled from persecution a couple times. He had gone several places and it took a special direct revelation from God in the form of a dream for him to to, for him to take that command to preserve one's life in the face of persecution and to say, I have been commanded to do something else. Right. And then here's here's the kicker rather than basically rhetorically spitting in the face of his persecutors when the soldiers came he didn't lie about who he was he was polite he fed them he made a meal for them and then he went with them and when he when he was standing in the arena this is where people like doug wilson get it wrong there was a little bit of spit in the old man's in the old man's eyes right there was a little bit of fire when when he was when he was called an atheist He responded by calling the rest of them atheists. That is not the same as disrespecting the civil magistrate. It's not the same, right? right? He was, he was pointing out, he was correcting an error, right? He was preaching the gospel that when the people accused him of atheism, he said, no, 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 let me get this. Let me clear you up here. I am being persecuted for the gospel of Jesus Christ because I am not the atheist. You are the atheist. I am not the one that denies there's a God. You are the one that denies God by your actions and by your theology. What, what's happened in Christ Church Moscow, I think on some level, maybe not to the same extent, but what's happening at Grace Community Church in California and what's happening in a lot of places is people are confusing Polycarp and other martyrs' defense of the gospel by standing in the face of adversity and correcting the erroneous thoughts about what's happening with right. this idea that we can just stand in the face of persecution and, and in some ways we should seek it. John MacArthur's picking a fight. He has every right to do that as an American. He actually has a little bit of a right to do that as a pastor in a prophetic, kind of a prophetic, lowercase p, prophetic element. But what's happening in in Moscow, or what's happened in Moscow, is a bunch of Christians that just went and picked a fight with the state. The state wasn't asking for the fight. They weren't knocking on their door. And where I think persecution a good indicator that persecution is happening to kind of get back now that we have five minutes left for our actual topic. (laughs) A good indicator that actual persecution is happening is when you're being sought out the, the verb persecute in the gospels in in the old, the new Testament, the verb has to do with pursuit, right? It's not just that someone treats you wrongly. It's that someone's actually pursuing you. Someone's actually chasing you down. The Mm -hmm. the new Testament actually uses in a positive sense to talk about what God does to us right? He persecutes yes. us in that he pursues us and tracks us down and gets yes. us, right? So if you're not being pursued, if the state is actually trying to help you protest them, that's not persecution.
0: Yeah, I agree. That's actually, I think it doesn't actually even need to be any more complicated than that. There's right. a seeking out that happens with persecution. And when you were giving biblical examples, I was immediately drawn in my mind to Acts 12 where Peter is rescued from prison. And I want to read just a couple of verses from that chapter, beginning of verse six. Now, when Herod was about to bring them out on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. That's a way to get woken up by being struck by an angel saying, get up quickly And the chains fell off his hands and the angel said to him, dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And so even in this instance, we have like, there's an example, what prescriptive or not, that God is rescuing Peter from the cell and saying, let's get out of here. That like, in many ways, I like what you said about Polycarp. In my mind, Polycarp has always been like the Jason Bourne of the early church. Like his first objective was always to flee and escape persecution. He did so in lots of different ways. That was like Jason Bourne's style. So I, I admire him for that way. It was not only until the end of his life when he was like in his 80s that this account that took place, but we overrepresent this account as if to say that what it means to be a Christian is to like always stand up, to stand and like throw yourself to the lions because that's what God would have you to do. Right. And that, again, itself is a misrepresentation of both, not only what happened in the first century, but also what is prescribed for us in the scriptures. And so I think that this is going to be increasingly important for Christians to be discerning with what it means when we see the word persecution in text or headline or anywhere else, that we really ought to take some assessment of what's happening here and not merely take it at face value. It'd be great if all Christians were using that word appropriately but in this case, I think what we see is this is just inflammatory language meant to fire up Christians over something that really actually didn't take place, yeah, and so that bothers me like that should offend us as Christians if you're going to use that word because what you're basically saying is that people are being sought after because they believe a certain thing about who God is that they're being they're they're purposely being persecuted against because of what they believe and how they're expressing it. That ought to be the case. If you're going to use that word, if it's not at best, what you're doing is you're going against the 10 commandments at worst. I think what you're doing is you're blaspheming the name of God himself.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think um, maybe to kind of bring it down to a close, which usually we do that four or five times, but to to bring it down to a close, (laughs) I think my main concern with the way that some some Christians are handling government restrictions is they have fundamentally taken American freedoms, yes, and they have made them gospel issues.
0: Yes, that's the problem. And and so
1: the the freedom and I, I'm not sure what freedom uh, this is. I'm not sure where in the Constitution we are free to operate without masks i don't i don't see that in the constitution so the same the same people who will scream and cry legitimately about uh, liberal justices who are reading things into the constitution that the framers never could have imagined i really don't think that the framers had in mind cloth surgical masks to to stop the spread of a pandemic based on you know microscopic particles because they didn't understand what germs were so when they talk about freedom of expression (laughs) i doubt that they're talking about wearing a social you know social distance mask once in a while fair enough but they've taken they've taken this so-called American liberty of operating without a mask or the, the American liberty of being able to be within six feet of each other. And to be honest, like it sounds a little bit ridiculous when you frame it that way. But that's literally what they were protesting in Moscow
0: because it is. Right.
1: They were protesting that they feel their freedom to be within six feet of another person has been has yes. been violated and their right. freedom to have their face by seen be seen by anyone they want has been violated. I don't know where those protections are in the Constitution. I would love to see it if someone has it. I don't I definitely don't know where it is in the Bible. And every time I ask someone to provide a biblical argument for this, they spout off about tyranny and about men of good conscience conscience, right? I've never seen a biblical argument. I, I honestly haven't. I have a stack of books that I'm giving away. If you can provide me with a good biblical argument that says that, uh, that, um, face masks oh, wow. are contrary to the Bible, I will send you the list and you can have a book of your choice. Like I will pay wow. for the shipping a hundred percent, like pass this to your friends, send it to Doug Wilson. I don't care. I will send you a book free of charge. If you can give me, it doesn't even have to be that good of a biblical argument. Okay. If it's better than the Arminian <laughs> argument for libertarian free will, I'll send you a book. Wow. Right? I mean, I'm serious. Like, that I was the gauntlet. Am, I told you I was gonna put some extra mustard on this. I am yeah, sick I, and I tired it. of Christians acting like this is a biblical issue and yes. flat out refusing to even try to give a biblical defense for it. It's not that they give defenses that are bad. They don't even bother to try. I have not once right. seen an actual Uh, uh, even a poorly constructed biblical argument. It always comes down to the government is tyrants because people should see my faces and I deserve to breathe without impediment and blah, blah, blah. Right. It's all about me. So I'm, I'm frustrated. I don't even remember where I started on this, but I'm frustrated. (laughs) Now I do. I'm frustrated because we have now taken, and maybe I should not be so surprised with Christ Church Moscow, not understanding what is or isn't a gospel issue. I'm so frustrated with Christians acting as though the gospel of Jesus Christ that what Christ died for, what he bled and died for,
0: amen. Was amen.
1: my ability to breathe without a piece of cloth in front yes, of me. Yes. Right on. That is ridiculous. It is right an on. affront to the truth. It is an affront to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And honestly, all it is 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 in in most cases, not universally. I have had some people who have well-reasoned arguments why masks are not constitutional, not biblical arguments, but well-reasoned constitutional arguments. Yes. More or less, in most cases, it boils down to selfishness and convenience. I don't want to wear a mask because it's all about me. It's all about my freedom to do what I want to do because America. It's not a, not really about principles in most cases. So stop fusing that with the gospel. And the way this ties in is if if it's not a gospel issue and you're being... Prosecuted for it, you're not being persecuted. Prosecution right. is not persecution, right. unless you're being prosecuted for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. And if you think that masks or social distances are a gospel issue, then, then we need to have a different conversation at all. And yes. I, I'm not saying this to be inflammatory, but if you are so far off of what the gospel is that you think that wearing a mask is a gospel issue, then I think we need to get back to basics and maybe we need to talk about what salvation is because I'm not sure you understand.
0: Right amen so if we've come across strongly in this particular episode it's which I'm pretty sure to. we have it's because we meant it's to. because yeah it's because we believe strongly about right. this I think that the challenge that we're trying to lay down the gauntlet that you've expressed right here is that we need to get first principles right. That this is not, it's not about, you maybe have a constitutional argument, but you don't have a biblical argument. You need to separate those two. We all need to, because what we're doing here is we're actually dishonoring the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, by taking up these issues uh, that we say are persecution when they are really not. Not to mention that, again, it should just embarrass us. Like, cut to, to Christians who are legitimately trying to gather in Sudan or China who are being sought out, who are being killed because they're merely gathering together in Jesus' name, that is the persecution that the Bible speaks of. So we still have it soft and easy. And so when we elevate these things to a level that we think are deserving of the kind of attention where Christians should get fired up because what they believe is at stake here, that's not at all What's happening. Yeah. And so that that's really what bothers me. And I think that we all need to, all of us, you and I, I think we'd agree, we all need to do better at this. And part of what God, I think, is doing in a purifying way in this particular season of the universe is getting us to think very, I think, robustly about what it means to stand up for the gospel and what yeah. it means to separate that from the rights under which the government in which we live. And we ought to be very clear about the difference between the two, because right. He will, hold us accountable for that. And so I think that if you want to get, like, if you want to be persecuted, then by all means go, and I don't mean this in a trite way, go and be persecuted for sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ in a way that is unadulterated and unvarnished. Go and do that thing. But please, and I mean this sincerely, I'm not saying this is a cliche, for the love of God, do not conflate that with what it means to have rights under some kind of temporal government, which God himself in Romans 13 has established for his own glory. Right.
1: Yeah. And, and one last thought, right? Just because I don't want people to misunderstand (laughs) us. Rights. Okay. Actual rights come from God, right? Yes. Our our government and our constitution recognizes rights that come from God. Right. I don't, I don't want you to hear what we're saying when we talk about rights under a there are different kinds of rights. There's, there's inalienable natural rights that come from God that every human has. And then there are rights and, and privileges or prerogatives that are granted by some sort of temporal authority. It's okay to say our temporal authority has granted us such and such a prerogative or such and such a right or such right. and such a privilege, and that's being infringed upon. And that's not okay. That's right. totally fine. That is not the same as the gospel. So, yes. so get your gospel Right and get it out. And if if getting the gospel out means you're going to be persecuted, then welcome that persecution with a smile, respect those, pray for those who persecute you. But if if we're going to do all this stuff, right? If if I go to work and I'm rude and people don't like me and they reject me and they they call me names because I'm rude, that's not persecution. That's right. just me being a tool and and being treated like a tool. And and what's happening in Moscow, Idaho, Idaho is not persecution. It's Christians behaving badly and being slapped around a little bit by the state for right. behaving badly. So, I mean, honestly, right. like that's what it is. So so get the gospel out, suffer the consequences if that's what it takes. But please do not confuse the gospel. Please do not confuse the gospel because, right. well, masks may or may not, right? The scientific evidence is changing every day and we don't always know. Well, they may or may not be a life or death issue. The gospel is a spiritual life or death issue. And if yes. you convince someone that the gospel is about not wearing a mask, you may be condemning them because they're never going to actually accept yes. your gospel. So yeah. it's, it is a matter of Amen. spiritual life and death for us to get the gospel right.
0: Amen. In many ways, this is like the quintessential thing for us to talk about because like you've said, we're all about the idea that all of life is theology and that theology right. does influence everything that it changes, not just how we behave, how we think and that God has for us a way of living that comports with his scripture, but also is manifested in every little detail of our lives. So I don't want anybody to think that we don't love the brotherhood. We do. And that's, I think why we're so fired up is like, this is in some ways, I think there are going to be people who are listening to this and be like, enough already. Like, we're with you. We understand exactly what you're saying. And we yeah. say, like, amen. Like, we should all be united in this. And there are others that will possibly be offended. At the end of the day, this is kind of like a family conversation. We're pulling yeah. up the stool saying, Christians, let's get it together. Right. We We really need to make first things first in this. And the the world as it stands right now in God's glory is causing us to really set clear lines of demarcation in this. We can't be fooled with the way things appear to be when they're not the way that things actually are. And that's what we need to get a proper understanding of. So it's, I'm not saying that you and I have it all together. I'm also saying though, that like our desire is to really follow the scriptures, not the constitution, but the scriptures. And so we need to be about that.
1: Yeah. And I just want to remind everybody, right? When, when we close and we're going to close, I know all of you are looking at your times (laughs) eventually at
0: some point when we
1: close, right. When we say honor, everyone love the brotherhood. We are not just pulling that verse out of context. We talked about this in our civil disobedience, um, in our civil disobedience passage. Honestly, when we picked that passage, we just picked it because it had the word brotherhood in it. Like I, (laughs) I searched for brother and I found it and it seemed to fit, but as we've developed this podcast, All of the passage that comes around that section in in Peter, all of that weighs into this. So honor everyone, love the brotherhood includes honoring the emperor, right? It includes everything that comes in the context of that, of obeying our civil authorities, of recognizing that God has placed us in a context in order to accomplish his will, and that that has responsibilities with how we interact with those who are non-Christians around us. So with that said, Jesse,
0: until next Tony. honor everyone (laughs) love the brotherhood